0: Overdrive.
1: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we look at the wide and wonderful world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this week's program we have news stories with David Campbell, including the Labor government promises a 50% target for electric vehicle car sales by 2030. We talk to Subaru Rally Team driver Molly Taylor, who has just competed in the first round of the Australian Rally Championship held in Western Australia. We catch up with Joel Helms to discuss the latest truck from Hino, which is showing the freight industry the way in standard road safety features, and it has some wonderful technology for communicating information to drivers with minimal distraction. And we continue our talk with Brian Smith on the April Fool's Day pranks played by car companies. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news.
0: With the election just around the corner, things are heating up. And now the motor industry has been well and truly drawn into the debate. If Labour wins the election, it will set a national electric vehicle sales target of 50% of new car sales by 2030. And 50% of the government fleet will be electric by 2025. Businesses will be allowed to deduct depreciation of 20% for electric fleet vehicles valued at more than $20,000, as a part of its climate change policy. Labor will also introduce vehicle emission standards to reduce pollution and will aim to deliver standards in line with 105 grams of CO2 per kilometre for light vehicles, but will consult on the phase-in timeline and coverage to maximise savings for motorists. Efforts to impose pollution standards for vehicles have been derailed during the coalition's periods in office in part by internal opposition from the nationals and by strenuous lobbying from organisations including motoring associations, driver groups and the Australian Institute of Petroleum. Aston Martin CEO Andy Palmer thinks the automotive industry as we know it is in for some serious disruption with the advent of self-driving cars. He said that self-driving cars will result in numerous automaker mergers. Already his prediction is beginning to play out. Long-time rivals Daimler and BMW have talked about collaborating on self-driving cars and have a joint mobility services company. VW and Ford announced the two will work together on commercial vehicles and perhaps self-driving cars. Fiat Chrysler and French automaker PSA are also rumored to be exploring collaboration on electric vehicles. Three prominent automakers announced this week the formation of a partnership to help create regulations and safety standards for autonomous vehicles in the U.S. GM, Ford and Toyota are partnering with the Automotive Engineering Group SAE to launch the Automated Vehicle Safety Consortium in order to establish safety guiding principles to help inform standards of development for self-driving cars. The goal of the consortium's work will be to inform and accelerate industry-wide safety standards for autonomous vehicle systems in order to earn public trust with the continued development of AV pilots. The safety principles include making sure there are proper systems in place for testing, ongoing interaction between people and systems, as well as the collection, protection and sharing of data. Even if car manufacturers do not merge their operations or development processes, there are other areas of commonality that are critical, such as this recent GM, Ford and Toyota consortium. The European Commission has informed BMW, Daimler and VW of its preliminary view that they breached EU antitrust rules from 2006 to 2014 by colluding to restrict competition on the development of technology to clean the emissions of petrol and diesel passenger cars. The EU believes that consumers may have been denied the opportunity to buy cars with the best available technology. EU competition rules allows for companies to cooperate in ways to improve the quality of their products however they do not allow them to collude on not competing on quality the three car manufacturers now have the opportunity to respond to the EU's findings tesla's shares have had a bit of a roller coaster ride this year for a number of reasons recently tesla's stock fell after the company reported lower than expected first quarter auto deliveries CEO Elon Musk is also set to face off with the SEC in a contempt hearing. They may rise again as a bipartisan group of US lawmakers introduce legislation that could extend tax credits that make electric vehicles more attractive to car buyers but this could face stiff opposition. Whatever the case Tesla has ridden the wave of being a new creative disruptive player in the market but now they have to settle into a more stable, more competitive environment. After long delays, Hyundai has finally confirmed the launch date of its Genesis brand. The G80 large sedan, previously known as the Hyundai Genesis in Australia, will touch down in showrooms in June. Like Lexus and Infiniti are to Toyota and Nissan, respectively, Genesis is finally launching in Australia as its own standalone mark. Hyundai have announced that the flagship G80 and the smaller G70 medium sedan will be available while the G90 upper large sedan sold overseas will not be offered here. The G80 will be offered with four levels of specification, starting from $68,900 plus on-road costs. And that has been the news. One evening in August
1: 1926, a young woman named Alice Anderson set off with a friend to drive a car, a baby Austin, from Melbourne to Alice Springs. Alice had established a reputation as a thoughtful and resourceful person who had founded and run an all-woman motor garage, the only one of its kind in Australia. She could have been a mentor and is certainly a role model, if not a patron saint, to our next guest, Molly Taylor, who is the lead driver for the Subaru Australian Rally Team and has just competed in the first round of the Australian Rally Championship in Western Australia. Molly, thank you very much for your time.
2: Thanks for having me. The
1: event, it was a bit of a tough one?
2: Yeah, yeah. Look, heaps of potential. It was a new car, new team that we were running with this year, so a lot of variables and we, um, yeah, we had a lot of potential on the sort of first one and a half days and we're sitting in a, a, a pretty good podium position. And unfortunately, we, we had an electrical gremlin. Um, we're not quite sure. We're trying to work out what that was, but basically meant that we dropped one and then two cylinders and, and a lot of power. So we unfortunately dropped a fifth by the end of the event. So not, not the result we wanted, but heaps of potential, heaps of speed in the new car. So we're, we're still pretty positive, looking forward to the rest of the year. The
1: first thing about the event is the environment. I've interviewed a few people in the past, including Sebastian Loeb, who came over and rallied here. It's a ball-bearing-like surface. Do you have to adapt a lot to that particular situation?
2: It's a very unique event over there. The gravel's completely different. As you say, it's a ball-bearing-like surface. So you can imagine, um, yeah, the the gravel is literally these little little hard-packed balls, so it's incredibly slippery. To drive on. So you certainly have to, yeah, adapt the car to make the most, to get the most traction possible on that surface. Also, you'll find it's quite variable from the start of the rally when we're sort of the first cars on the road. You, you then find after more cars have been through, it'll form a bit of a swept line and sweep some of that really loose gravel off the top of the surface. So you find the grip changes throughout the event. Um, if it's the first time you've been through that stage or if you're going around again or if more cars have been through. So yeah, it's something that's always changing. But, you know, it's a great challenge and the roads over there are just fantastic. So by being really slippery, it's definitely one of my favourite events.
1: You just reminded me of a golfer who they become so perfectionist at their thing. They have different grasses on greens that they do. (laughs) You were reflecting on, you know, the quality of the gravel. (laughs) It's taking things to the nth degree, isn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, I guess, what what you have to do when you're trying to find the the best possible speed and, um, you know, everything then comes back to how much traction you've got and what you do with the car and how you drive the car and how you set up the car. So that certainly changes throughout the year depending on where we are and what the conditions are.
1: The new car, I think there are a few changes in the rules and you have a new car builder who have been, as you say, a new team. Is the car significantly
2: different? Uh, There's been a few changes. So the, the car, the, the biggest one is basically some freedoms allowing us to to more effectively get the car down to a lower weight. So our car's probably, you know, 100, 150 kilos lighter than what we've run previously, which is a, a massive thing when you're thinking about that much weight that you're trying to, to pull up and reaccelerate and, and turn through a corner. So that's probably the, the biggest difference. And then there's some other smaller differences in, you know, allowing us where we can put that weight and how we can modify the the suspension as well so we can get the the most uh, drive and the most turning and and the the best uh, cornering I suppose.
1: Not having too much weight I I have many years ago uh, been involved in rallying you get that feeling of immense momentum when something isn't going quite right that's carrying you in the wrong direction.
2: (laughs) That, that's very true. <laughs> We've all been there.
1: <laughs> Do you get that gut feeling that sort of says, "Oh my goodness, this is carrying me the way I don't want it to be"? Have you had to learn to live with that? <laughs> yeah. I'm not reflecting on your driving skill.
2: On the gravel, one of the things is the car, the attitude of the car. It's it's quite sideways a lot. Um, it's sliding, and and we're doing that to help help the car turn on a, a loose surface effectively and turn, you know, as quickly as possible. So certainly. If you get that wrong, and the car starts to get too wide and, and too much angle, then then um, you know the grip's getting less and less as you're doing that. So then obviously the the weight and the momentum's getting more and more. So that's definitely we've all been where we've uh, you know carried a bit too much speed around a corner and you feel the car getting away from you a bit. But that's where we've also done. You know, a lot of work on the suspension and the differentials and, and the engine itself to get as much drive. So the, the cars have incredible torque and incredible grip. So we're lucky in that situation that, that usually we, we set it up so when you get the power down, you can um, get good drive and, and pull you forward instead of sideways.
1: Are you coming out of corners much quicker? Is that part of its advantage or as you say getting that power down is is that one of the great feelings you got from the new car
2: yeah so i mean with the weight the the braking is is the the first thing because we can obviously pull up in a shorter distance the car will, will rotate better with less weight so you'll be able to make it a bit more agile in the corners and then obviously accelerating with less weight so it'll accelerate a bit better so the weight is something that you know affects everything across the board
1: Molly it's uh, lovely to talk to you And we'll catch up again On some of the other things that are happening Particularly encouraging other people Other women to get involved in motorsport But for now thank you very much for your time Thank you And that was Molly Taylor The Subaru Works team here in Australia Their chief rally driver Talking after the first round of the Australian Rally Championship In Western Australia You're listening to Overdrive And on our Facebook page, Overdrive City, we have some pictures of the weirdest gear levers you may ever see. Typically they're in old pickup trucks. We look back at the good, the bad and the ugly in terms of Formula One car designs, and when too many brake lights on the back of a car is just not enough. That's our Facebook page on Overdrive City. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, last week I was down in Canberra for the launch of a new Hino truck, the medium-size, medium-duty truck. And among other things, we were in a vehicle rated for 11 tonnes on a skid pan, having a bit of fun. But it did have a serious message, and someone who can talk about this at considerable depth and understanding is our friend Joel Helms, who is an expert in trap testing, and he joins us on the line now. G'day, Joel. Hey, David, how are you? Uh, Very well, thank you. Now, the skid pan actually had a serious note to it, didn't it? Oh, it does,
3: and it did. After driving in those conditions, which aren't all that far off uh, what you'd find on a, on a Parramatta Road or, a, or one of our busy roads around Australia uh, in wet conditions, and uh, if you ever find yourself in a situation where a car pulls up quickly in front of you, you've got to try and manoeuvre in a, in a sort of small rigid truck, you'd want to make sure you had the, uh, the traction control because the difference was chalk and cheese, wasn't it, David?
1: Yeah, Tino is trying to make a point of differentiation, yeah. isn't it, in their product? with road safety and electronic stability programs. They have been mandatory on cars, but not on trucks. We really do need them on trucks, don't we?
3: Yeah, and I believe the, uh, the mandate will come in 2021, I think, is when they're talking about. So uh, Hino definitely getting a, uh, a bit of a jump on the rest of the market with stability control. We've seen it in things like their, uh, their slightly larger Hino 500 series wide cab, and it's been a really big seller. Uh, so I think it's just great to see these safety systems becoming a priority. Unfortunately, trucks, especially the, the, these sorts of trucks, these distribution trucks, which carry so much of the, the national freight load and, and what, I guess, we as motorists, especially in suburban areas and country towns, who, they're the trucks that we come across the most. So for them to have the safety systems ready to go, oh, I think it's fantastic and uh, and full marks that, you know, and the the other manufacturers that are getting there with their safety systems and And also not making it optional. That's something that that some manufacturers are still doing. But with Hino, if you sign up for one of these new 500 series standard cabs or the wide cab, you get it all there as standard.
1: And it includes automatic emergency braking. We had a test on that. It's a large vehicle being yanked down to zero speed very effectively.
3: I think violent is the (laughs) word, isn't it? I was really... (laughs) My neck's still recovering, David, but uh, you know, it's not just that the computer and the, and the truck can stop itself, it's how efficient the brakes are as well through that system. So I think that was the amazing thing, is that you could really feel that it wasn't just going from nothing to full braking application, it, it still came on slowly, but it was still violent and it still really pulled us up quickly. So again, another really good uh, technology, especially once again for a truck like this, like a medium-duty truck which is going to spend so much time in city and suburban areas with passengers, uh, with uh, pedestrians rather, coming out and walking out in front of it and just making it safer for, for well, the driver to not have a bad day on the job or a terrible day on the job, but for those of us who share the roads with these size trucks on, on a daily basis, you see them absolutely everywhere.
1: Well, we all get distracted, and I, I think we've got to not take the high moral ground that truck drivers are baddies. I mean, they are doing what we want to do. I'll come to that in a moment too, but... The thing about these road safety is that they're very good in preventing, but they're not absolutely foolproof. I'm not condemning Hino. I'm saying we have to have reality about it. The automatic emergency braking, very clever, doesn't it? It beeps at the driver, then touches the brakes to let you know you're still not doing well. But if you then still don't do anything, wacko, it comes on with the brakes. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing about the driver and distraction, one of the great features they're talking about is the interface between the technology and the information that you can get and the driver. And so that part of that was the driver not having to think about rescheduling or if the head office reschedules and that. That system developed in Australia is pretty good, isn't it?
3: It was. And uh, what one function that I really did like about it was not just that you... So in the old days, David, uh, when a when truck left the depot, basically it was completely off the radar. hmm and if we go back even before mobile phones, once you sent your driver out with his with his run, that was it. You, you couldn't contact him unless he went along to a pay phone and called into the office and said, hey, boss, how are we going? You know, Do you, do you want me to go anywhere else? Or, or, hey, I've got a problem. That was really it. But nowadays, with technology like this, uh, over the cloud and updates via the network, basically you could be dropping three boxes in, in location A, all of a sudden, A new job's come through, it's just around the corner, you've got to pick up two boxes, bang, okay, and the sat-nav system takes you right there. But what I really like about the system beyond that functionality was that it is truck-specific sat-nav that's sending you to these different places. And obviously that's an issue with things like weight restrictions on roads and, and bridges and overhead bridges and things like that. But what I like about it too is that it's actually got loading dock information. So to you and me, the address for our local Woolworths might be 1 Smith Street, but for the loading dock it might be in Jones Street and you have to you know, enter via, via uh, uh, Queen's Road around the other way. So this Satnav system will actually send the truck to the loading dock, not just to the front door, which is pretty useless most of the time for, for a truck driver.
1: So it's the Hino 500 medium-duty vehicle. Joel, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. And Joel writes for Big Rigs magazine, and you can see his reviews there. This is Overdrive across Australia. Last week we discussed some April Fool's Day jokes, and we started a story about MG saying they had tyres with colour pigments that left patterns and messages on the road. Brian Smith and I thought that as we approach a federal election, if tyres with messages did become a reality, then it was sure to be used for political purposes. After the show, we continued the discussion and talked about a few more companies associated with the car industry, making an April Fool's Day joke. There would be political or advertising messages, I think, As they spin, they can certainly say things, couldn't they? (laughs) As they spin. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Flip-flopping.
1: Talking about politics, uh, a racing circuit has uh, suggested something on April Fool's Day. Yeah, this is Castle
4: Coombe in the UK, and uh, this is a pretty pointed sort of uh, commentary. They said their April Fool joke was that the Castle Coombe circuit would separate from the United Kingdom to make its own sovereign state, um, in reflecting Brexit uncertainties. I, th- I really actually liked this one I, that they were talking about, you know, changing the entrance so that there'd be passport checks and uh, and a ban on vehicles that weren't that didn't come from British manufacturer, which would make for very boring racing. <laughs> I think. Uh, not sure whether there's any left. Um, and even the um, they even went with uh, their head. Uh, becoming the king, the king of Castle Coombe circuit, uh, and he he was talking about a telegram from the queen, and she was planning to pop down to legally separate us from the United Kingdom. So I think that's a that's a nice piece of satire about the shambles that is Brexit, <laughs> uh,
1: and the idea that uh, you might need a passport to go to the racing. If they only had cars racing that were from British manufacturers, they'd have a lot of did not finishes, wouldn't they? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Lap one, all the electrical systems
4: <laughs> will we <were laughs> <able>, sail <laughs> to get the car started. They so we were all pushing them.
1: <laughs> they could uh, reflect their own Hutt River province, which yeah. uh, created currency. that. But it does actually reflect the fact that if Britain goes that way, there will be a lot of passport checking and changing. The, the car companies, some of them, are now looking very quickly at alternate ports to Dover because Dover is going to be swamped with Mm. uh, bureaucratic processes. Brian, do you think that a television program may create an interest in the car? Because Fiat, on their April Fool's joke, put out a story that they were going to have a new version of the Panda, which is uh, based on the old Fiat Cinquecento uh, the Hawaiian edition, and that's based on a television program called The In Inbetweeners, a coming-of-age television program, I believe, where they had one of these old Cinquecento Fiat's on there, which, if you think of the Mazda 121, was a bubbly car, but then they went to the very squarish 121 Metro, in the same way, Mazda sort of had the bubbly 500, but then when they brought out this Cinquecento, it was a very square sort of thing. Looked like the the Mazda, so it had to a degree of character in that sort of roundabout old style of being almost a uh, car that you had because you had to, not because you wanted to.
4: Well, this is such a strange decision. I mean. The in between is finished in 2010. There were a couple of movies subsequently, so 2011 and 2014. They, they had some movies, but the series only ran to 2010. So that's like eight nine years ago. I, I just can't see why why they chose this. I mean, the car is certainly very prominent in the in the program. One of the young lads is uh, given a car by his father, and it's this awful bright yellow Chinko Gento. He tears a door off it and has to have it later, you see it with a red door. So it's it certainly has a lot of relevance to the program, but the program's relevance ended nearly a decade ago. It's uh, I'm not sure what Fiat is trying to, to get to here. There's no plans to relaunch the in-betweeners. It's, uh, it's a piece of history, and maybe that's what Fiat's really... Rejecting the fact
1: that they are kind of a
4: a piece of history
1: themselves. Oh, that actually cuts to the quick with me because I remember all the cars from way back: Magnums, Ferrari. That's going back even further. Or Wayne's World, uh, AMC Pacer, which they did the Great Bohemian Rhapsody song while they were singing in it. Uh, So my my thoughts even go back quite recently the the 1949 triumph trophy motorbike in happy days although i mm. suppose i suppose the more recent one would be homer's car it's 1986 plymouth that was the one plymouth yes which was the simpson so my mind does go back to older ones as well but i'm not sure as i say that if you have a car reflected in that i don't think it's a compliment
4: well, in in addition
1: to that, the Inbetweeners was relentlessly filthy. Oh, was it? It's hilarious,
4: but <laughs> filthy. So I'm just wondering whether people would um, thinking, "Oh gosh, the tenth anniversary of the Inbetweeners. We must check it out as a family." And, <laughs> and then I think very quickly, it could have a devastating effect on the family. <laughs>
1: Very quickly, Land Rover put the UK's most re- uh, remote charging point up the side of a mountain. Is that uh, witty? Uh,
4: look, two sides to this, David. I think uh, amusing about the idea, uh, promoting the idea of charging for electric vehicles and, and that from very soon, um, Land Rover will be providing electric vehicles. But But the issue around the charger is that it allows you to overcome its current 30 mile electric (laughs) range so it's kind of more or less pointing out to you that uh, look uh, don't buy one of these things unless you can be very sure
1: you get home they'd want one at every uh, 30 kilometers or so if you've got to drive to the mountain you'll never get there (laughs) this might be a practical thing puddle lights are all the rage if you get in a mustang and turn the key on at night it uh, projects a little symbol almost like a bat symbol that's projected in the sky except down onto the road with a little schematic of a mustang and other cars do it as well could you customize that brian is this a smaller derivative of your tires that put a message on the road
4: well i think the thinking in this is that skoda says this puddle light um, will be useful it'll it'll projected personalized message like remembering to put the rubbish bins out for recycling i thought it's a great idea i I actually think yeah look why why not have that sort of information even road safety information or uh, perhaps updates on something that's going on on your
1: own calendar or something like that i think it's a great idea brian how lovely it is to talk to you and we will catch you up next week Thank you, David. That's Brian Smith, and we were talking about April Fool's Day jokes from the motor company, some with a sense of humour, some perhaps not. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Brian Smith, David Campbell, Joel Helms and Paul Just for making this show possible. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. And of course we have our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.